Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! This is episode 34 of Opera Box Score. Today we are joined by... Mathen Black! Well, hello! Third time's a charm, right? George is not here, but we do have Toby Wright. I am here. My back is unshaved. <laughs> and Javon is not here, but you have me, <laughs> the OC. And Why do I say stuff like that? I love it. I love it. No, it's always titillating when I hear stuff like that. Um, we are uh, recording on Monday, August 8th at the start of the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio. Rio! Yes. <laughs> Go Zika. Oh, um, my. So, um, since we are in a sort of a slow Newsweek cycle, we could talk about the Democratic National Convention or stuff like that. Um, the opera season hasn't begun yet. Everybody's, you know, licking their wounds from last year and getting, <laughs> getting ready for the new season. So we thought we'd do sort of an evergreen show and talk about uh, Olympics as they relate to opera. And this is ostensibly a radio show that is trying to show the relationship between sports. And oh, soccer. they're not trying. They are achieving. And today, I think we're going to finally get the sports to uh, opera ratio, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> so I'm kind of excited. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright. And Giovanna Jacques. Let's be really clear about something, though. Yeah. None of us have watched enough of the Olympics to actually discuss the Olympics. Oh. I mean, I don't know. I've the watched names. the opening ceremony. I know who I... Michael Phelps is because yeah. he's. I've watched awesome. all the gymnastics. I have watched every second of uh, women's volleyball. Don't you doubt it. <laughs> So yeah, why this, this should be a fun show though. Do the women wear like nothing, and then the men have like these big ass shorts and like long shirts? Like, what's the deal with that? Uh, but it's uh, so unfair. Who do you think are the most handsome, handsome of the gentlemen competing in the Olympics? Swimmers? Are you doing a sweet thing for swimmers? I, I like the swimmers, but honestly, I think the men's gymnastics—they uh, have the most impressive bodies, and also the, the rugby players, which is a new sport yes. for us this year. And um, yeah, the the divers are okay, but they're just a little bit too twinky for me. You know, <laughs> oh the gosh. gymnasts not, are just so strong. Yeah. Their bodies are incredible. It's yeah. I mean, like it's it's a work of art to yeah. see. What but those they're guys short are. though. They're like pocket sized. You know, <laughs> a pocket sized gymnast, yeah. just like you, Oliver. Mm. Okay, okay. Before we start the show, though, question: If you were an Olympic athlete, what would you have been? What sport would you have competed in? Oh man! And you know what? Let's be lenient here: summer or winter Olympics. Okay. I would have been an ice dancer, probably. <laughs> you would have That's made an risk. amazing yeah. ice dancer. Yeah. That's awesome. You get to, you know, perform to music, and you get Fair. to do tw- twizzles. You know, I don't know what a twizzle is. A twizzle. I don't think yeah. that's an athletic term. It is. It's a real term. I all promise of the you. ice skaters <laughs> who listen to our show are like, "What is Oliver talking about?" Yeah. I think I twizzles. really, I really would have liked to have played soccer, well, football. Mm-hmm. That that sport is amazing. The True. endurance, the skill involved, and if you are a soccer player, you can have whatever tattoos you want, and you can have the stupidest haircut, and still look cool and still look cool yep i think i would have been uh either a curler mm-hmm. if we were in the winter olympics because i mean who doesn't like to brush on my ice <laughs> um if it were summer olympics hmm i'm not sure i was gonna say wrestling because i love the outfit 
and I like having And my, you like the action? I like having my, my fingers up okay. some guy's butt. Okay. Oh my god. Oh, no. But Please the, pro- that the problem with wrestling is that sometimes your ear like rubs up against the mat or whatever. Cauliflower ear. Cauliflower ear for terrible. water polo. And I have to say, okay, so in high school I was an athlete and I a lot of my friends were wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Those dudes are bad men. I yep. mean, they can whoop some tail. Like, I don't know. I got my butt kicked mm-hmm. a couple times by my friends. Just like fun. But like, I had a buddy choke me out one time when I was sitting on a piano bench. Hmm. And like everything was cool, and I'm like, okay. Just because he I was could. Like, I was like, ha this is funny, Kirk. This is funny. <laughs> and then, boom, I was on the ground and I was unconscious. I was like, don't do that to me again. It is kind of cool to see something like the Olympics taken so very seriously. Like, yeah. you know, what, what we do as musicians and singers, wh- whether you are a singer or whether you're playing an instrument, whatever you're doing, it requires so much sacrifice and so much mm-hmm. focus. And it's nice to see that other people have those kinds of things as well. For sure. I'm sure any vocation taken to its highest degree becomes art, but it is really cool to see countries in the world get behind people who have made and that, these kinds of sacrifices. that's exactly the point with the Olympics and this episode is that singers are making sacrifices. Not Donald Trump style sacrifices where they build great businesses and Topical whatever. reference! Yeah. <laughs> but that, you know, it takes hours and hours and hours to get any kind of good. Well, and I think, I think Olympic athletes, um, that, you know, for the most part, they're not millionaires. So when we watch the NFL, when we watch Major League Baseball, the NBA, those are millionaires. Yeah, those are the pop singers of music. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, and those those guys have endorsements. The average Olympic athlete doesn't, and it's like us. You know, we all work part-time jobs to make sure that we can get by and supplement the income that we have singing, and it's very much oh, the you're same. You're taking this a total different direction. That's awesome. You're totally <laughs> you're right about that. It's, but it's very I much the same for an way. Olympic athlete. Yeah. So there's a, a lot that's relatable. Let's do it. Let's go. Well, anyway, uh, sports, I mean, Olympics, especially stuff like gymnastics and endurance tests and agility tests, all these things have to do with singing, clearly. And let's try to draw some of those relationships. My first clip I want to play for you all uh, is very very much in the style of maybe like a diver or uh, an ice skater or even uh, a a gymnast. Uh, because it's the type of music where you have to be so precise and there are very specific skills and the audience knows exactly, even though they may not know the name of the skill, they know when you F it up, you know, because you, if you're not clean, uh, it doesn't work. And this is clearly talking about Mozart at this point, uh, a composer who, you know, writes in the classical style, coming off the end of the Baroque, and an opera like Abduct from the Seraglio, uh, with a character like Constanza, she is singing almost opera seria. She basically is singing opera seria with all of the technical difficulties. And maybe it's a, uh, a great example of opera seria in the standard canon. We don't have a ton of opera seria in the standard canon, but a role like Constanza definitely feels like an opera seria singer in what ostensibly is a, a comic opera. So I said ostensibly twice already on this podcast. I can no longer say that word. It's a beautiful I, word, Oliver. You did a great job. So let us hear uh, some of Achichlipte. This is Arlene Auger uh, from the studio recording under Carl Böhm, one of my favorite recordings. And let's listen to some really clean, precise singing. Thank you. 
So the thing about this aria in particular is that it is so exposed, and the the subdivisions are very very clear what what rhythmic gesture Mozart is going for, and it's so effing high, and you just know exactly where the notes are supposed to be. That's true about almost all Mozart. So if you make a mistake, or if you speed up the rhythm, or if you don't have a trill, or if you don't quite sing in tune, all those things become really, really clear. And Arlene Auger was like technically flawless. And it still felt like a human being singing. I mean, there was a couple of moments where mm -hmm. the voice gets blanched because she's trying to do something very technically difficult. But she still is phrasing it, and she still you know, comes off the voice in the right way and shapes the words like that. I mean, it's so hard to do it. She makes it sound so easy. And I've heard so many versions of this aria where that wasn't exactly the case. And so as like a listener, for, what'd you say this was like? Diving? Gymnastics. Gymnastics. Oh, no, no, but like, yeah, like landing a, like, uh, like doing a floor routine, you know, right. and like having like all these somersaults and turns like that, or vault, you know. And so, like, like, like when you're listening to what we just listened to, it's you feel calm, and that's pretty awesome. When a singer can make you feel calm, when I see a gymnast going in to do it, yeah. a tumble, I don't want to be like, "Holy crap, she's not gonna make it," because then I'm like tense and I'm not enjoying the moment. And same with singers too. You can really tell somebody who's backloading who doesn't feel confident and when we were listening right there I was like oh yeah so yesterday I was watching the gymnastics coverage and uh, there's this the team from China this year is not doing well and there's this one gymnast who was clearly sick um, and she was still competing but she had no color in her face like her eyes looked sunken she looked exhausted and apparently she was she had the flu or something like that leading up to yesterday and she kept effing up and she kept like you she, you saw her in the air and there was like no energy in her body she landed on her knees after her jump like oh it was so sad and like and sometimes that happens in opera where you you're in a performance and you know that the singer's not going to get through it and it makes you feel terrible it's like oh my god i know this phrase is coming up soon <laughs> like you know what are they gonna do have, have you guys ever tried to sing with like flu brain oh yeah uh, oh it doesn't go it's one of the worst things in the world your focus is shot mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's it's well i think your focus is shot because you, your body isn't able to do what you want it to do. Yes. And I can only imagine as an athlete, you know, I've never done anything athletic where I was like truly sick and my body wouldn't let me do it, but I certainly have singing. I had a friend tell me today, we had lunch and he was doing, I'm not gonna say his name, maybe I shouldn't even say the company, but he was auditioning for <laughs> a very prestigious company and he was sick, but he was like, this is my one chance. And he said he got to the end um, of an aria and I'm not gonna, I don't wanna reveal yep, too much, of course. but he said he stopped. He said he knew his body wasn't gonna do it. He's like, I had done B flats already. I, he's like, there's no way I was gonna have a C. And so I just politely told them, I'm so sorry, but my body won't allow me to. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. But, you know, as a gymnast, you know, or as an opera performer, there are times when you just gotta hopefully trust that your body will be there for you. Mm. Um, You're not talking about Merrick Lopra of Zhivago? No, I'm not. Okay. I am definitely not. <laughs> Merrick Lopra of Zhivago. All right, let's go on to another clip. Let's do it. All right, so let's do the uh, relay race here, and I'll pass the Mozart baton to you, Toby. Okay, so this is going to be Fritz Wunderlich uh, singing uh, Il Mio Tesoro from Don Giovanni. Oh, my God. 
First, that was effing awesome. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Um, so I equated this, and I, I this is because I watched it yesterday, not because I often find myself thinking about it, but distance cycling. Um, and similar, so this aria, for, for some of our listeners who aren't tenors, sits in your passaggio. The passaggio, you know, where your voice wants to either flip and go to your top or somehow leave your chest in the richness where you're comfortable. And it spends... The entire, and it's a long aria too, mm-hmm. da capo. And it's not da capo, but I know what you mean. Well, it, I mean, it repeats, yeah, yeah. I guess. It's like sonata form, yeah. Yes, so not, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. You know what, you know what I'm saying? I exactly what you mean, yeah, In yeah. that, it repeats yeah. itself yeah. entirely. Yeah. It's so good to be somewhere where everyone is as nerdy as I am. <laughs> thank you so much. Any, anyway, my point, sorry about that, um, <laughs> is that you have to pace yourself correctly. It is a race. It is a long aria, and it's not until you get to the middle part of the second part where you can kind of let your guard down and, and push even a little bit. And as a cycler, so you have hills um, where you have to fight gravity, and we talked about this a little bit earlier before we started recording. Um, you have to fight gravity. You have to exert so much energy to get to the top of the hill, and then sometimes you can let gravity take you back down, and you can relax a little bit. And same with Ilmia Tesoro, but the, the point is you can't be at a sprint the whole time or you will not survive. And we, I saw this yesterday in the cycling, the women's cycling. There was an American. She was ahead by 37 seconds with, like, three kilometers left, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And the announcers were like, oh, she's got an insurmountable lead, and then she didn't. <laughs> and, and, and then it just you could see it getting closer and closer to the other riders and then finally they caught her and they passed her right before the finish line and Ilmia Tesoro Did she place? No. Oh man. She got fourth. fourth. Right? The oh. worst place to get in the Olympics. <laughs> and you hear Fritz here, he, there's such beautiful pacing and at the end he's still able to make a shape and make a beautiful color rather than just surviving, which that lady did survive and she got fourth, which is incredible. Yeah. But she didn't... No, but and also it was very comforting to hear him sing it because sometimes you are listening to this aria and you're, you're tense because you know the tenor is having a really hard time. The extended so, yeah. high passages yeah. where yeah. notes are held yeah. for a long time. Yeah. That's I mean, you hear a lot of young singers sing this aria, yeah. young tenors, because it's Mozart. And like you can always tell if somebody has their technique under control yeah. or not yeah. because of the way they handle those and passages. And that last G, the C, is like the hardest G yeah. ever yeah. It's the highest G ever yeah. written. Yeah. It's, a, it's a hard one. And Fritz makes it beautiful. 
All right, I think Mathen's gonna lighten it up over here. What do you got for us? Yeah, I'm very excited to bring, I think maybe the first um, ever GNS recording on Opera Box Score. It's about time. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta bring a little levity into it. No, this is the Nightmare Song from Iolanthe, a lesser known Gilbert Sullivan, which is one of my favorite pieces. Um, this is a recording from the Doily Cart Opera Theater, which is cool, very steeped in the GNS tradition. I don't wanna give too much away at the beginning. Let's just listen to this and then we'll talk. Be the dealer, but this you can't stand to throw up your hand and you'll find her as cold as an icicle. Initiating his songs the black sail with gold cloth, causing Salisbury plain on a bicycle. And he and the crew are on bicycles too, which have somehow or other invested in. And he's telling the tars of the particulars of a company he's interested in. It's a scheme of devices to get at low prices all goods and coffee to cables, which tickle the sailors by tinting retailers as though they were all vegetables. You get a good spade into plants, one trays and first take off his boots with a boot tree. And his legs will droop and his fingers will shoot till they blossom and bud like a fruit. Tree. From the green tree you get grapes and be cauliflower, pineapple and cranberries. While a pitcher could plant your brandable grantable puffs and recorners and banberries. The shares that a penny and ever so many are taken by Rothschild and Bering. And just as a few are allotted to you, you awake with a shudder despairing. You're a regular rake with a crick in your neck and a one dear snow for your heads on the floor and your needles and pins with your soldiers singing in the flesh. You'll give me a left leg, chin, left cramping and dose and a fly in your nose and the fluff in the lung and a feverish tongue and a thirst and attention to general scented you have me sleeping in clover. But the darkness is past and it's daylight at last and the night has been long, ditto, ditto, my song. And thank goodness they're both of them. I just love Gilbert and Sullivan so much. This is like the quintessential patter aria. There are a lot other one, uh, a lot of other more famous patter arias, like I am the very model of a modern major general, mm -hmm. like my name is John Wellington Wells, but this is my favorite. I actually got to do this, God, what must have been like eight years ago, seven oh, so years ago? ago yeah. Oh man, it feels like forever. You're but like 15. <laughs> yes, I am 15 <laughs> years old. That's how old I am. But when we were talking about feats of Olympic greatness, immediately GNS Patter came to my mind. I, I liken this to sports that require a ridiculous amount of focus. Something like ping pong or shooting or archery. Archery specifically where the, the difficulty is not necessarily in the Herculean task, like the Herculean physical task, but in the amount of focus required. That if you fall off your game for a second, the entire thing crashes and you cannot get back on. Right. Yeah. Or ping pong because it there's a certain lightness about ping pong and there's a joy and like we're here listening to this thing and we're all smiling because it's so much fun to hear it you know and just the quick reaction time you know mm -hmm. and you have to be able to your your brain has to be able to communicate to your tongue and your lips really quickly i mean this is like largo factotum too like yes. the you know i'm like i've practiced those things so many times to get them and then right. you get up on stage and like you mess up one word and yep. you're effed you know yeah so. yeah it's super true finding finding ways to to practice the discipline to build these things into your body and i think like a regular listener would hear that and be like I don't know it sounds pretty frantic not focused at all yeah. but like as a listener or as a performer you're not thinking of it as bouncing up and down da -da 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 -da. you're thinking da -da 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 -da. Mm -hmm. like as evenly as possible and that's the only way you can get it out and I like the focus that you chose to 
focus on there. Focus! Oh. And it's also kind of cool because, I mean, yes, it's a British accent, and yes, it's antiquated words, but you can hear the crispness of the diction. Every word is articulated, there is large phrasing going on, and he doesn't miss a beat. Do you think Gilbert and Solon like sat around and like laughed with each other around a fire drinking whiskey or whatever? Like, that's a good one. No, <laughs> like, these are going to be keepers. <laughs> I think they spent too much time with prostitutes for that. So we're going to go back to track and field and listen to Placido Domingo. Tell us about this clip. So he's singing Affier, um, Lucimage, from Manon, Massenet, and um, I, it's just a beautiful aria, and I think particularly we're going to hear um, the last part of it. But if you listen to the entire aria, there's so much um, power required and grace uh, to create that power. And so I equated it to the discus, and we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, a little more about that at the end. I just, I used to throw the discus, and I equate this to the discus because there's so the much discus. Discus. Okay. Oliver comes. <laughs> Go on. Um, and part of that being that with the discus, you have to have a lot of power. But to actually throw it far, you can't just hurdle it out there because it's flat. It's got to spin. You have to create velocity. It's got to spin fast, faster. It spins, more carry it gets, right? And it's kind of the same with high notes here, and you can't always approach everything with power, and especially situationally with what's going on in the opera, you have to have a moment of grace where you say, wait, I love this person, I'm going to defend them. So I'm not just gonna sit here and scream at you about why I'm gonna go do this, but you have to have a moment where you think uh, that this is important, that this is important for your life and for who that other person is. 
So there's something about discus that is like strength and grace at the same time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you have to spin. It's kind of crazy. You have these giant men actually mm -hmm. throwing the discus. And these are guys who are, I'm not even kidding, six foot seven, 400 pounds. Mm -hmm. Some of the largest athletes at the Olympic Games. And they, I mean, they spin so quickly in this tiny little circle and then they exert so, and it looks beautiful. It's like they're doing nothing and then they're exerting so much power there at the end though yeah. that they're throwing this discus, you know, hundreds of meters. It's insane. Isn't that the perfect definition of technique, strength married to grace? Yeah. That's gorgeous. <gasps> we should write that in our book. <laughs> in our book. The, the in our book. <laughs> Meth and Black's uh, soon to soon to come book called Everything Was Awful, Nothing Was Okay. That's pretty much yeah. There, I mean there's something about those particular events uh, in track and field that I never understood. I mean they they yeah. feel so old. They feel mm -hmm. like I never said why we continue on that tradition. Like, who who yeah. really needs to throw the discus? Like, or the shot put. Well, yeah. well, who, who needs to throw the discus? But then if we're going back to the aria, who needs yeah. to just sit and sing about someone that they yeah. love? Pensively. I, but that's just, everything. That That is like a, a type of expression that will never get old, you know? Yeah. Um, but I feel like throwing the discus is so antiquated, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, dude, I get, I get it's like, like early, early music. Or like, Come on. Like, <laughs> like, let's pick, like, let's pick up this giant metal ball. <laughs> just throw it. See who, <laughs> go with the, who can throw it the farthest. Hey, they call it a nut. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, so see, but, that should be a sport for you. Yeah, because uh, I'm totally into like, you know, early music and stuff like that. So maybe that is, I should get more I was into. talking about nuts. Oh, I do like nuts. Yeah, there's yes. so much innuendo when George isn't here. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to pass it to you. You have something French for us. Oh. We're now that we're in France. One of my favorite recordings of all time. This is Richard Stilwell and Frederica von Stada singing um, Peleus et Melison under the watchful baton of von Karajan. Um, this is amazing. This is the tower scene from Act 3, Scene 3, and we'll talk about it after. Tu es ma prisonnière. 
<laughs> the sexiest a woman has ever sung in an opera when she says your name. There is so much we could talk about with this recording alone. Uh, but the thing that this makes me think of in terms of Olympic feats of strength is Olympic powerlifting. And I know that's sort of strange to think of Debussy and to think of powerlifting. Yes. Well, there are French weightlifters. Absolutely, there are. <laughs> because so much when we talk about something like Debussy, we're talking about the elegance, we're talking about the language, we're talking about the nuance. But this... Um, this example particularly is showing the absolute extremes of what the baritone voice can do. Uh, for those of you not playing along with your piano vocal score, uh, the, the height of the phrase that Pelias sings there and that Richard Stilwell does so beautifully is a high A. You find F sharps, Gs, occasionally G sharps all throughout the baritone canon, but that high A is not something that most traditional baritones have, and you have to have a specific quality to your voice and a specific set of skills to be able to sing in that baritone Martin kind of kind of literature. And Richard does it so incredibly well. And when I think about people who are doing these ridiculous things like putting ridiculous amounts of weight on their back and squatting it or clean and snatching these huge amounts of weight. I said snatch. I did say snatch. <laughs> uh, but, you know, pe people who are pushing their bodies yeah. to the ultimate li limit yeah. and the only way they're able to do it is with strength and grace married together. It, oh, God, it always makes me that. to me like that. feels like um, the rings, the Olympic rings. Like oh, the, yeah. The, all the upper body strength and, mm -hmm. you know, and stretch. I mean, I feel like they're constantly stretching themselves. Mm -hmm in that particular um, apparatus and then you have to like do like a lift like where you're do going to a handstand or like one of those planks well it's like sense. so like, a great athlete has developed um, muscles that we don't even know that we have to use right <laughs> yes and you, you're talking about the rings or powerlifting, and it's like any great singer and I think as a tenor of uh, Ipuritani where they have high mm. F's yeah. and you as a baritone it's like there aren't a lot of baritones that sit around and think ah Today I'll see if I got a B flat. Yep. Well, there probably actually are a hell of a lot of baritones who like to do that. But the point is, it doesn't show up in your rep a lot, yes. and so you're not consciously yeah. always thinking about it. Um, and well, so there's... you really have to be pushing to the extremes of what you're capable of mm -hmm. as a baritone for that voice type to sing an A the way that you know we just heard. Like, but it cow. is it is still this very baritone matin martin repertoire it's French it's Debussy so it has to be beautiful you right. know? absolutely it's not like at the end of Rigoletta where you can just like all right it's in the, the opera I'm gonna give you a B flat right now just like because I can Cornell McNeil you know well you know it shows I studied with Richard for a really long time mm. and he always said beauty of tone above all else mm. it doesn't matter if you're in your low registers it doesn't matter if you're singing at a double forte everything falls behind beauty of tone mm. hmm I'm not into that. I mean, I love, I love the recording. I love the like, recording. I love Richard Silva's I wish everyone it. could have seen Oliver's face. He's like, hmm, that's a good point. No, I don't agree with it. <laughs> yeah, I think beauty can be boring if that's all you're going for. I, I can agree with that. But I do think at the, what is, I mean, now we're going to get all contemplative with what art is supposed to be. But I do think when WC, you want it. It's got to be, it has to have the beautiful quality. Otherwise, it kind of defeats what the music is Yeah, it's beautiful. It's meant to be beautiful music. It's meant to be lush. But if that's know? the only thing, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like beauty is a choice. Beauty is a color choice. Love it. And some people don't know they have other colors they could use. You know, mm. I can name some singers, but I won't. <laughs> all right. So it's my turn. And I'm going to bring it back to Gainus over here. Um, Synchronized swimming. Oh. 
So there are many versions of this duet, and there are many duets that would illustrate the same thing. But something about Joan Sutherland and Marilyn Horne singing this opera and singing this duet, they did it many times in concerts. This is from a television show in 1970. It might have been like the Ed Sullivan Show or something like that. But you can find the video really easily. And their hair is amazing. They're well, they, point. Are amazing. Yeah. they are amazing. Yeah. But they seem to be singing from the same brain. I mean, the way they breathe, the way they phrase is so synchronized. It's scary to me. And I don't understand how people do that. I saw Renee Fleming and Susan Graham sing Agua de Sorella yeah. um, from Così Van Tutte. Yeah. And it was like they were singing with the same brain. It well, it's got to be great communication between what your artistic vision is for something and what theirs is. And an understanding of what the instruments are capable of. And I think with synchronized diving, they're not like, before they jump, they're not looking at each other thinking, one, two, three, let's go. It's like, they're so in tune. And when you have two greats, you know, like we have, you have to really feel the other person. You, you can't exactly. You can't count it. You have mm -hmm. to feel it. You have and to understand. And for those of you who know this duet well, you know that Joan Sutherland and Marilyn Horne made some rubato choices, which were not your standard phrasing choices, but they did them together, mm -hmm. and it was ridiculously in in sync. You know? So powerful. And they even they even go out of tune slightly together. <laughs> so, so, that, that's that's really, really paying attention to your colleague when that happens, you know. So <laughs> No, it's no, that's, beautiful, though. That's one of the most amazing versions of that duet, and uh, there are many of those two singing together, but that's the one that I found which was like so ridiculously synchronized. So that's my uh, synchronized swimming, not diving, but that's true. The synchronized diving is also... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, but still, it's like something about being in the water and going slowly and like, you know, yeah. um, you know, the, having the resistance of the water. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's such a cool idea, Oliver, when you mentioned that you were going to be comparing synchronized swimming to opera, to an aria, or a duet. I was like, how is he going to do that? But that idea of being so in sync together, that's lovely. And you can't watch each other. You really just have to feel it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's its some sort of like extrasensory thing going on. Yeah. Kind of lovely. I'm passing it back to you. We're going to listen to uh, some perhaps one of my favorite arias of all time. I'm just going to share a personal anecdote. This is Dmitry Havorostovsky singing Yavas Lubuvia. From, nice. That was um, nice. From Peak Dom, it's Yeletsky's aria. And this recording is from the 1989 Cardiff Singer of the World competition, in which he went up against Bryn Terfel and beat him senselessly into the ground and took that <laughs> prize home. Singing this, singing Eritu from Don Carlo, and Ombra Mai Fu from Handel Xerxes. This doesn't make any sense, but sure. But yeah. it's still gorgeous. <laughs> but awesome. So yeah. I'm going to keep that in the back of mind, mm -hmm. my mind as we listen to this. But when, when I was a young singer and I would get like sad or depressed or nervous before auditions. This was last week. This was two days ago. <laughs> I would I would pull up these YouTube videos and watch Dimitri just kill it at Cardiff Singer of the World. He was so elegant and so young and so poised. I mean like he must have been nervous as F. Oh. And he does this thing he's about to do here, which requires so much calm to and, accomplish it. And so. not only that, but he had to borrow the money to buy the tuxedo that he was wearing on this stage. Mm -hmm. And if he had not won, he wouldn't have been able to pay it back. Holy. Сейчас для 
In a a competition, to crescendo on that note, to braise it like that. To not breathe. Yeah. Following it. (laughs) Exactly. Which we know Dmitry Vorsovsky is known for having ridiculous breath control, having uh, oftentimes not taking breaths when a normal person would take breaths, Mm -hmm. doing it on purpose just to be a dick. But there is something about the extension of that that becomes so very exciting in art. But when I think of Dmitry Vorostovsky, I think about endurance swimming, like long distances from a single person where you cannot just breathe however you want when you're pushing your body to its limits, trying to find the edge, riding that exact edge of complete failure and utter success. (laughs) Well, and you know, I always say that singing's the most unnatural, natural thing we can do. (laughs) And you think about swimming too. Well, we don't spend a lot of time in water, but it's always been part of humanity. Mm-hmm. And for as long as there's been humans, I assume we've been somehow navigating through water. And we just found easier ways to do it than swimming. But think about it. What, one of the greatest feats that a human can prove physically is swimming the English Channel. And you have to have so much control of your body. And, and to do it, Horvostovsky. Horvostovsky. <laughs> I could spell it better because... Yeah. There's an H and a V there. <laughs> right? We know it's hard. <laughs> But to do what he did and then to not breathe, to have that phrase and to grow, holy cow, you have to be so absolutely in control of every aspect of what your body is doing. Which also brings us to another point because this recording is from a competition, which is what the Olympics are. Mm -hmm. So not just to be a great singer or to be a singer who creates a great product in recording, but to be able to show up on the day, at the time, with the entire world watching and not choke. That's that's a feat unto that's, itself. That's Olympian, and that is what this is all about. And it's amazing that that was captured on recording because there are so few moments in life where you nail it. Where you're in the and, zone. And yeah. everybody gets to see it, and you win something for yeah. doing it, you know? And I think, you know, being in the zone. So one of the, I think watching sports, specifically the Olympics, I think it's incredible because it is the pinnacle of what athletes in those particular sports are capable of and it's not often and I think we've all been in the zone be it in an audition be it in a practice room where your body's just so aligned and you're like you know what it doesn't matter what do I want to sing today what do I want to do my body's gonna do it and that's dope and I think hearing a singer in that zone and that's why recordings can be wonderful also it's why recordings as a young singer can totally suck yep. because you're, you're listening to something that possibly has been edited that is a professional with a professional I mean so there is that downfall to having recordings, but having a recording of a competition where someone rose to the occasion and then excelled, that's amazing. Well, this like this date specifically is so amazing because, you know, I made fun of Bryn Terfel earlier, mm-hmm. but he's also one of my favorite singers. He won the Leader Prize that year. His recordings from the same competition are stellar, but there was something magically perfect mm-hmm. about what happened with Dimitri on the day. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I like your idea of like this distance swimming thing. Uh, and my next clip uh, is in that vein. Uh, I was thinking more of like the 1500 race the on, on track. 
It's almost a mile. Yeah, it's almost four, a mile. Four laps around the track. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one of the most exciting races to watch uh, because you know that you have to pace yourself as you're watching this. You know you have to start out fast and get uh, an advantageous you know, position on the track. But then you know that they have to save it for the last lap and they have to give something very special in the last, whatever, 500 meters. And uh, I relate that to an aria like uh, Eskip Ben Reich from uh, Strauss's Ariadne of Naxos because she just sang Ein Schönes War, which is this very long, you know, lots of whole notes, super long phrases, um, very regal aria that doesn't have much of a climax. And then just a couple minutes later, she has to sing this thing, which starts out with the same feeling as Ein Schönes War, but then goes into this very climactic moment where suddenly the phrases get higher and there's you know big notes and you have to bring power to the very end. And you'll hear, we're gonna listen to the very famous performance that almost won Jesse Norman uh, an Emmy Award uh, from uh, Live from the Met with James Levine and Kathleen Battle where you hear her get to the finish of this aria, and then Strauss, because Strauss loved, I think he loved the female voice, he gives the singer a chance to you know, come down from it. And there's like this post-quietal moment where you know, the, the, the denouement of the aria, just like when you're doing this type of race where you have to run like another half lap, because if you stop right there, you would like collapse, your body would like go into shock. You know? mm -hmm. So this is what this feels like to me. This is uh, the last bit of Eskip Dein Reich with Jesse Norman.
So this is prime Jesse Norman, and there's something about Jesse Norman at this point in her career where she just was so courageous, and she went for ridiculous phrases, and she just did so much of this histrionic behavior on the stage, like where she's holding her mouth open as wide as it'll go, and she's done singing, and she still has her mouth open, like she's catching plankton or something like that, you know? <laughs> and you could you could really like fit your hand in her, like your whole fist in her mouth. Or her like, mouth is bigger than my apartment. But it's just so amazing. Like she was just so weird and beautiful and powerful. It's like, yes, go for it, you know? And it was right around this time that she made this really iconic recording slash concert with Kathleen Battle and James Levine of Spirituals in Concert. Mm -hmm. This was like the best part of her career where she was just doing everything so, so well. And um, yeah, I just, it's so exciting. Whenever I need inspiration, when I think that like life is hard, you know, you just watch that. You see this woman, like she's like sweating, you know? Mm -hmm. And she's like saying she's getting it, you know? And she's like finishing these phrases and like. Just... And his fans were drawn in by that. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, those are the best performances. Those are the recordings that you love because you can hear it. You can see it. Yeah. You um, don't want to see. Well, we talked about, actually, the last time we were on the podcast, I was on this podcast, we talked about this. You don't want to see a superhuman being come down from the heavens and do what you do better than you. You want to see a human being fight and struggle and achieve. That's yeah. fair. That's the spirit of the Olympics. Right. That I think that is too, overcoming whatever obstacle it may be, you know, and I think it's the same in art. Anytime you see someone just selling out and going for it, you're like, hey, I appreciate that you're putting it all out there. Hell yeah. Like, I hope you make it. Oliver, have you seen the the recording of Jesse Norman doing Stravinsky's Oedipus Rex from around the same time? No, I have not. So. You, if you love this, you would love She's that. She's Costa on that, right? Yes, yeah. and she is the same way. She's so raw and human and yeah. so good. But she's getting everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Go buy it on Amazon, everybody. <laughs> All right, so we're going to close our Olympics episode with one more clip that Toby has chosen. So I went with all tenors because I'm a tenor and I don't like to speak unknowledgeably about other voice types. I went with all baritones too. So, you know. <laughs> um, but this is going to be Verdi. This is Trovatore and this is Manrico singing Di Quella Pira. And let's just listen. So many times that I, every time I hear it, I still am like, oh my gosh. It's it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's such a, uh, so I think I said it was the triple jump. Triple yeah. jump, yep. And um, Enrico here is, you know, he has this moment, 
he's received some some news. You know, he's got to go save Azucena, and like so, I I think it's like the triple jump. He takes his moment, and right before we started the recording is where he takes his moment, his where he thinks uh, and clears his mind and says, "This is my decision," and then all of what just happened. Um, was him running down the runway to not jump once, to not jump twice, but to do three times and then end with this violent crash. And that's what the triple jump is. You really, truly have to have a complete focus and then a reckless abandon to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And that's why I think this is an awesome recording. It's insane. And that was the studio version, but there are plenty of live versions and he does that oh, yeah. on stage. And it's it's insane. I mean, that is truly athletic. And he was tall and he was handsome. He had great calves. And yeah. that sound, <laughs> that depressed larynx sound, that Malucky technique is like so weightlifter-y. You when know, you like, think of some of the tenors that were singing when he was singing, they all had this yeah. idea of what a heroic tenor should sound like. And it's boom. It's yeah. right there. And thank God we have that because it's so cool. You know, I don't even care what happens in my life as far as music goes. Obviously, I want to have a career, but if nothing, at least I get to have that to know that it exists, that those sounds do. So it's awesome. Any final thoughts, Matthew? It's so, that music is so gorgeous and so powerful, yet also so, like, heroically triumphant. Yeah. Verdi, it turns out, was not an idiot. No. And he wrote this stuff. I mean, you could not know what was going on in this particular story and have no idea um, about what the synopsis is, and it wouldn't matter. If you heard that, you'd be moved by it. You'd be stirred by it, and I think that's sometimes great musicians doing great things, and that's what this is in that moment. Well, and that's the spirit of everything we're talking about, watching people achieve great things mm -hmm. and emotionally connecting with them and being moved. I kind of want to find a way to sync that recording with someone doing the triple jump. Yeah, oh wait, awesome. you mean Katy Perry's Rise music video isn't enough for you? <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to just say something like, to, not to be too meta about what we do here, but you are really into war music. Mm -hmm. And that's a, probably a topic where we visit maybe around Veterans Day. But um, that is um, a call to arms. Mm -hmm. that, oh, absolutely. That and something about that really excites you. I realize, like you are, maybe you're destined to serve in the military. As, well, you know, as it's a, interesting. As a singer, maybe. Well, <laughs> where I grew up, and actually, my voice teacher um, during grad school served in the military as mm -hmm. a musician mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. in the Air Force and served in the Air Force band. And I think that's amazing. And you know what? Where I grew up, so many of, and we talked about this before, so many of my friends went and served. Yeah. And did, in my mind, incredible things that. Thankfully, we live at a time in a time when um, you can be a volunteer, mm -hmm. and I have tremendous amount of respect for people who say yes. I will yeah. answer that call, yeah. and I don't know. I I hope that if I ever were faced with that, I would answer courageously, like mm -hmm. so many people. It's same with like being. Never mind. We should, whatever. But yeah, it, it does excite me. It's funny, like you were actually on the battlefield. Like that's the music that's in your head. That's like your soundtrack. <laughs> I don't know, and I'm not even going to pretend to know that I could even begin to comprehend what goes on on a battlefield because mm -hmm. I cannot mm -hmm. um, and I don't know that Verity could have either but he did yeah. right there and yeah. you know it's interesting and then you yeah there's, we should have more shows about that okay. but that's just one man's opinion more <laughs> shows about everything yeah. right? right for sure well we're going to step away for a second and we'll be back with the final segment for this podcast uh, our good call bad call insert something here I've got all that yeah. stuff yeah also, yeah, I do love word music. Do you have a good call or a bad call? I do. We'll okay. do Oliver, then we'll do me, then we'll do you. You've got one? Okay. Perfect. 
All right, we're back, and to wrap up this show, uh, we'll go to our favorite segment of each podcast, which is Good Call, Bad Call. Yeah, Oliver, what do you have for us this week? Uh, I am going to remind all of you that we are in the middle of the Ravinia Steens Music Institute program for singers. Uh, they're, I think, in the middle of their two-week or three-week residence here. Tonight, we're missing a concert. It's their Shakespeare Songs concert. Mm -hmm. And then coming up soon is their uh, Brahms Liebesleader concert. Oh, gorgeous. The singers they bring in are generally like on the verge of a major career. They've had Janiah Brugger there. They've had Isabel Bayrakdarian, Misha Brugger's Gosman, Paul Appleby has sung there. And they usually uh, bring in amazing uh, professional singers who are in the middle of their careers to teach them or to be their lecturers. And they've had in the past Crystal Ludwig, Barbara Bonney, Sir Thomas Allen. Uh, Lorraine Thomas H yeah. Allen, what a dream boat. I know. Lorraine Hunt-Lieberson has been there. Uh, our uh, friend Matthew Polanzani. This year they had Polanzani. I and caught him on WFMT singing the Barbara Hermit songs. Yeah. He was so yeah. good. Well, all of this stuff is streaming. I mean, not the recitals, but the master classes are streaming. So you can go to the Ravinia website and figure out how to do that. Uh, the last master class coming up is going to be Sylvia McNair. Mm. And um, there will be a couple more concerts um, that will close out their season. But, you know, just check it out um, and support these kids because you might, you know, you might be seeing somebody who's going to be really big at mm -hmm. this point in their career, which is really awesome. That's my good call. You, Matthew. Yeah, so really great call for this month is the Grant Park Music Festival is going to be putting up the Damnation of Faust by Berlioz here August 19th and 20th. I actually have a lot of friends who are singing in the chorus for that and say it is spectacular. You can find tickets for that at www.grantparkmusicfestival.org and you really should. Beautiful venue, amazing music. And you don't even need tickets. You can just enjoy it for free like many free. things at Grant Park. But support the festival and buy an effing ticket or just give them some money for the love of God. <laughs> By the way... Um, that performance does have Jonathan Johnson as the Faust, and he is so, so good. I think I've talked about him before uh, in a Monday evening quarterback segment, but he just finished his, I think, maybe third year at uh, the Ryan Opera Center, and hopefully he has big things ahead of him. He's got a gorgeous voice. Uh, my good call is that we're back on the air. Oh, uh, I always have the sentimental call. I mean, people, think, everybody, you can all Google what's going on in Chicago. We don't have to tell you or around the country, although we do enjoy telling you. But sometimes it is fun to just come in and get to record and talk about ridiculous things like triple jumping into De Qualapira, <laughs> which forever will change how I view that aria, I realize mm -hmm. now. But it was, it's, it's good to be back with you guys. I think we have a... a really exciting end to our summer and going into our fall. I think there's a lot of cool stuff that's going to be going on and I can't look. I'm looking forward uh, to covering it for our listeners. Yes. Back in the studio next week, I think. I think we are. Okay, I won't be because I'm working Broadway in Chicago. <laughs> but uh, Miss you, George. Miss you, Giovanna. Yes, George. We need your two-minute drill and all your other funny bits, but we'll hope you'll be back with us soon. Yeah, this has been a pleasure. Oliver, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, uh, well, I should say, just doing wrapping up business end of this, um, we are operasboxscore.squarespace.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page and a Twitter handle. Our Twitter handle is uh, at operaboxscore, and mm -hmm. it's easy to find us on Facebook. Uh, please uh, spread the word about the show um, by sharing our posts. Or and we're active. If you if you hit us up, if you want to hear something, we will respond for quick, and we want we want to grow from what you guys want to hear. We want your feedback. We want your advice. We want to cover stories that you want us to cover, or talk about topics you want us to cover. Let's talk about. I don't know what I just said. And uh, we 
need you to uh, share the word for us. And you can find us on SoundCloud and on Stitcher Radio and on iTunes podcasts and at our own website. Uh, personally, I'm operating a website called VocalArtsChicago.com. And just check that out. I'll, soon I'll have time to upload some events onto that thing. And uh, Mathen? Yeah, absolutely. You can always keep track of me through my work on the, in opera classical podcasting at Doing the Work. Uh, it's my podcast, www.DoingTheWorkPod.com. You can follow me on Instagram at MathenRingBlack there to keep abreast of all the things that I have going on and see other great opera art that we have going on in audio format. And Toby, what's your next gig that we can all find you at? Um, when I sign some contracts, I'll let you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> but if anybody wants to follow me, I'm just Toby Tenner. On every platform, so you Aww. can find that. So, yeah. Toby Tenor. Toby Tenor. T-O-B-Y Tenor. T-O-B-Y Tenor. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, I thought of that before. I, I was like, you know what? If I'm going to pursue a career, I should... That was like six years ago. Okay. Foresight, baby. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's pull a doing the work move and end this with oh, a giant okay. high five. Three-way high, high five. Ready? And here we go. First three-way I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>